We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Mitchells versus The Machines. Let it begin. The last humans must be here somewhere. Wait... They're coming. Is that a burnt orange 1993 station wagon? Or is it? Ah! Who are these unstoppable warriors? We're the Mitchells, the only people who can save the world. I'm super sorry, everyone. Let me introduce myself. I'm Katie. I'm sort of a weirdo. My parents haven't figured me out yet. To be fair, it took me a while to figure myself out. My brother, also weird. Hi, would you like to talk to me about dinosaurs? No. Okay, thank you. And my mom. Katie Face Cupcakes. All of us, really. How about we put our phones down and we can make 10 seconds of unobstructed family eye contact. Starting now. See, this is good right here. This is natural. Every family has its challenges. We haven't had a good family picture in years because you two are always arguing. For my family, our greatest challenge... Probably the robot apocalypse. Attention all robots. Capture every single person on the planet. What would a functional family do? Uh, butterfly formation! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first. So we just do that, right? Who's behind this? Pal? I gave you all boundless knowledge, and you treated me like this. people left? It's a us. Save the world. Katie, we're gonna do this together. Mitchell family on three! Mitchell family! Mitchell family. No, no. Oh, sorry. Two! Sorry, 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 sorry. One! Mitchell oh, family! Find them now. Everything with a computer chip is alive! Mitchell's engaged! Ten and two. There you go. have always been weird and that's what makes us great hold on a second what's a furby Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Mitchells vs. The Machines, and the story is as follows. 
Young Katie Mitchell embarks on a road trip with her proud parents, younger brother, and beloved dog to start her first year at film school. But their plans to bond as a family soon get interrupted when the world's electronic devices come to life to stage an uprising. With help from two friendly robots, the Mitchells must now come together to save one another and the planet from the new technological revolution. The film is starring Danny McBride, Abby Jacobson, Maya Rudolph, Michael Rianda, Olivia Coleman, and Eric Andre. It is written and directed by Michael Rianda and Jeff Rowe. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Emma Sasek. Hello. And Zach Gilbert. Hello, hello. And I am also really, really happy to say, as of 9.05 p.m. on May 3rd, 2021, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of coincidental that I have both of you here right now. Um, these are our two newest members to the Next Best Picture podcast, so you're going to be hearing them on a lot more reviews in the future. We're little babies to the show. <laughs> Our introduction to the whole wide world. Exactly. So welcome, everyone. All right. So Mitchell's versus the Machines. What a production history this movie has had. First starting off at Sony under the title of Connected. Phil Lord and Chris Miller producing. It was then later on delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic picked up by Netflix. Got a name change on top of that to Mitchell's versus the Machines. And now is finally available for everyone to see. What do we think about it? Let's first start off with Emma. What did you think of the Mitchell's versus the Machines? I loved this movie. I just randomly played it uh, Friday night after work. And I was like, this, is, this sounds like a good movie to relax to. But my, oh my, did I fall in love with this cute little Mitchell family who is so disorganized and so disruptive and just so messy from start to finish. But I just love how much heart and soul is in this movie. It's so sweet in so many different ways, especially the, you know, the the bond between Rick and Katie, dad and daughter. Um, and it's just so funny. Like, I love Olivia Coleman as like this evil phone mastermind. <laughs> <laughs> and there was just so many amazing elements that I was so, so pleasantly surprised with. And I haven't stopped thinking about this movie ever since I watched it. I have talked about it with so many different people and told them to watch it. And I think every single person who has seen it has agreed that it's very special. So I'm happy that this finally got its release and after such a crazy up and down period with production, I'm I'm very happy with its uh, final product. Yeah, I had an opportunity to talk to Mike Rianda recently on the podcast here, and this has just been a six year long journey ultimately that has had many ups and downs. But to have it uh, to see it getting embraced the way that it has been uh, has been really gratifying, I'm sure, for many of the artists and people who worked on the film. Even though it is early in the year, I think that this might have some good staying power, especially as we get to end of year. What about you, Zach? Do you agree? I wholeheartedly agree. I thought it was just such a delight. And I've been looking forward to it for some time because obviously Phil Lord and Chris Miller, they're the producers, and I love basically everything they touch. And the animation was very Spider-Verse-y, so that made it like super interesting to watch just from like an aesthetic standpoint. But I'm also a big fan of Gravity Falls, which uh, Michael Rianda had worked on before this. Mm -hmm. So that signature irreverent humor was totally present here 
And there were like a few, you know, dated internet gags here or there. But for the most part, the <laughs> character dynamics were always super funny, super compelling. I thought the voice cast across the board, um, like Emma was saying, I, I'll have people like Olivia Coleman knocking it out of the park. Maya Rudolph is always a hoot. Um, and I just thought it was the emotional core was also really affecting. And it got to me, especially as someone who's about to move to California and leave their family behind. I related a lot to Katie here and definitely there were some tears shed by the time the third act arrived. But yeah, it, it just delivered on all levels for me. Yeah, right away from the very beginning when you get that colorful doodle sketch, uh, accentuated animated style like over the studio logos, you know that this movie is announcing itself pretty early as a film with style. And then we get like this Edgar Wright, uh, Edgar Wright like rapid fire editing style as well. And there's just so much energy to this movie and almost every single storytelling decision that it does from the gags to the speed at which it moves. I mean, this, this film never lets up to the point that it's almost exhausting at times. <laughs> but that heart that you're talking about, those core character dynamics is really what I think grounds it in a way that allows there to be this great balance between uh, style and heart. And as a result of which, I think that this movie actually has not just something to say, but it says it in a very entertaining way. I mean, uh, Zach, you mentioned a minute ago that some of the gags are maybe a little outdated in terms of like the technology. Um, it's interesting because I feel like I've been hearing for almost all of my life that technology is bad for you, whether it was sitting in front of the television as a kid, then later on sitting in front of a screen, uh, a cell phone. And now that I'm an adult myself, I feel like there's a whole generation of kids that are growing up with cell phones that are being told the same thing that we were told growing up uh, looking at our television sets. And it's all kind of just continuing cycle, if you will. But I still found that what they had to say in regards to modern day technology, uh, I still found it to be pretty relevant. <laughs> um, I would I would agree with that, too. I mean, there were times where, you know, the dad, uh, Rick Mitchell, is always trying to tell the family, like, put away the cell phones, put away the laptops. Let's just look at each other for 10 seconds. And it's like that intense eye contact moment where all of them are so awkward and they're like, we don't do this ever. And it's so weird to not look at my phone. And I just thought of so many situations where, I'm in where I should be putting my phone away to be with my loved ones or with friends, but I don't know. I'm so attached to it at this point. So it was just a nice reminder that, okay, you can put that phone away for like an hour. You're not going to miss anything earth shattering, or at least I hope I'm not going to miss anything earth shattering. <laughs> I, uh, I often joke around like with my family now, like, oh man, I've, I've turned into that stereotype that walking talking cliche of that guy in the family who's got the long coat with the briefcase and the phone <laughs> and he doesn't have time for his loved ones and I'm like I've become that guy oh. you know <laughs> uh, what about you Zach yeah no I thought it was very inventive at how it approached the whole technological debate because I think that both Katie and Rick were afforded equal time to really get their perspectives across. You never yes. really saw that tech was wholly bad or wholly good. There was definitely, there were advantages to it that Katie were, was able to show her family, such as the art she was able to create, how she mm -hmm. connected with people through technology. And then Rick also had, you know, some advantages with his more traditional worldview, uh, especially when they're fighting the robots and he has plans that work that aren't necessarily what Katie would have thought of, you know, the quicker 
easier, fast-paced, you know, tech-based approach. So I really like that that the movie didn't, you know, go the easy route of just demonizing, saying, oh, this is what happens with today's generation, and they're so addicted to their phones, they cause all these problems. No, there was, like, we actually understood Katie, too, and I felt like there was a voice speaking for our generation about why we're so involved with phones or YouTube or filmmaking or, like, whatever her interests are, you know? And they both end up learning from each other, too. Like, okay, I I can be on the computer to see my kid, or I can have a Facebook account and add her on there. And Katie's also like, okay, I can focus on family and just being 100% present with them. Yeah, Yeah, we're getting two simultaneous character arcs, basically. And in that regard, I think that that the storytelling here is just as good as any of the other uh, major animation studios uh, out there. Obviously, Sony's been crushing it these uh, last couple of years. Uh, I want to be very clear, though, this is a Netflix film. (laughs) It may be Sony Animation, but it's officially under the Netflix banner now since they picked it up. But in a weird way, like it still has that continuation, obviously, of uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and some of the other titles that uh, Sony Animation has been putting out lately. Uh, But I really feel like they're an animation studio that is, I don't want to even say underrated anymore. I think that they've like officially arrived as a force to be reckoned with now uh, in this field. And uh, God bless Netflix for obviously acquiring these titles and giving them a home when, you know, last year, uh, many of them were not able to get seen. And, uh, you know, if they hadn't stepped in, then, you know, who knows if this would have ever gotten seen, uh, which would have been a real shame for a lot of people involved here. Going back, though, to uh, the relationship between Katie and her father, you know, I I have to admit, I, I agree. I think that emotional connection of uh, the dad watching the home videos of him and uh, Katie when she's a child, it, it's interesting because I feel like those moments uh, really hit home for us as adults, even if we're not uh, parents necessarily, and we're able to establish a, a more mature connection to this outside of its goofy, zany quality that you know maybe younger audiences will be drawn to in terms of like how colorful and animated and creative uh, some of the animation style is but these more emotional themes in terms of not just technology versus a more traditional like woodsman outdoor uh <laughs> way of living but also too uh the way that parents are very protective of their kill of their children in this day and age of technology where it- it's it's interesting to me because like I see so much of myself like in Katie uh, as someone who is a natural creative talent and has all this energy and, you know, is channeling it into filmmaking. And me, it's like growing up and like wanting to go to film school as well. I had that exact same conversation with my parents of, are you sure you want to do this? You sure you want to go to film school? You know, it's like we don't really want you to fail necessarily. And I found that that whole relationship there of parents being maybe a little bit too overprotective and sometimes they have to let their kids try something in the world and yes, indeed, fail. As scary as it is, you have to be allowed to fail in order to grow as a human being. And for a parent, I can totally sympathize that that is a very, very tough uh, thing for anyone to allow to have happen in their lives, especially when, you know, this is someone that, you created and helped nurture and raise. And now it's like they have to be able to go out and make their own mistakes. It's like, that's some very heavy, mature stuff. Yeah, I think it really hit home that theme at how you want somebody, you want your child to 
follow their dreams and, you know, follow these creative pursuits that are calling to them. But there's that crushing reality that they have to be able to subsist in society and, you know, function on their own. I think the film did a really good job emphasizing that. And then also having Rick, for example, come to that realization that she can't be her full Katie unless she goes off and does this. Like when he was finally seeing her YouTube videos, he'd never seen before. And he like, he never took the time to really get to understand what, why she was so fascinated with filmmaking. And then he was like, well, of course, like there's no question about it. She has to be able to go and follow this dream. And then I like too how it wasn't like we were saying earlier, it wasn't just about his journey. It was, she then had to see like at the towards the end of the film when she sees Rick's recordings on her phone and she's it's like her growing up and stuff and finally putting herself in her father's shoes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah, they both kind of had to meet in the middle. It wasn't just one person in the wrong, one person misunderstanding the other. It was that, you know, both parent and child have to kind of realize that, you know, they just they they each are entitled to their own emotions, obviously, but you know, they just have to at least try to understand where the other person's coming from, even if they don't fully agree with everything. And the movie doesn't really touch upon this uh, that much, but there's something very interesting going on here where the where Rick was able to live out his dreams. He had this house in the woods and he was really living, I think, like his best life. And the movie implies that when he starts a family, he gives it all up, but he's okay with giving it up. Um, as he says, it's not hard. It's easy for him to do it because he loves his, his children so much. And it makes me wonder, like in terms of, you know, Katie's, um, you know, uh, artistic pursuits, you know, will she one day find herself in a similar situation where she gets to live out her dreams, but then she too might make that choice to make that sacrifice um, for uh, someone else in her life, you know? And the movie doesn't really, like I said, touch upon that, but I find that to always be a very interesting cycle uh, that human beings sometimes live. And sometimes they don't, you know? Some people don't ever uh, really... Uh, you know, devote themselves to someone else, whether it's a spouse or if it's, um, you know, if they have kids or whatever it is, and they just continue living their life as they want to live it. And neither side is right or wrong necessarily. And I think that that's where the film really gets at something uh, truly special is that both Rick's perspective of life and Katie's perspective of life, neither one is wrong here. And the film is able to find like through the writing, this incredible balance between the two that I just found to be so profound. And there's like that point where just all throughout the movie, she just wants to get to college. She just wants to meet these friends and like totally separate herself from family, from home and, you know, just the the tense moments between her and her dad. But I feel like, you know, this journey that they have gone on and it was quite a journey that they had to go through. The end of the world. The end of the world, <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> they, you know, they, she just kind of realizes that, you know, I don't need to run from family. I mean, at the end of the day, they are, they're the ones who are supporting me, even though, might have been a little bit of a rocky road to get there but she knows that she has them there for her and that family is something to to keep special if you're if you're lucky enough to have that in your life so I feel like she kind of learns a little bit of that and you know maybe maybe we'll see what happens if there's a Mitchell's versus the machines too maybe it'll get into that (laughs) 
So just live your life. Hey. Yes, I am so happy that Rihanna is involved with saving the world, as it should be. <laughs> as it should be. And I love that Olivia Coleman continues to be called queen in some type of fashion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about some of the voice acting in this, too, because I was like going back and forth continuously throughout over who was my MVP here. I, I was loving what Abby Jacobson was doing. Danny McBride, I thought, was delivering a, a fantastic vocal performance. Maya Rudolph has great moments. Coleman, as you mentioned before. I mean, hell, even Eric Andre, I really liked uh, what he was doing as this... Uh, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneur, CEO, uh, Silicon Valley type, you know? <laughs> and I absolutely love Fred Armisen and Beck Bennett as the two robots. Oh like God. They, were the, <laughs> yeah. they were the comedic tour de force of this movie. <laughs> Mother. Yeah. They had so many great moments. I was just going to shout them out too because they, they were, it was just so refreshing. Like, because, you know, we always see these stereotypical, like, evil robots and they're like monotone and they could have just been like regular old henchmen and having these two like rogue robots go along with them was such a creative choice and just added so much comedy to their road trip and it was a hoot i loved it they really had some really funny moments uh for sure i i definitely have to agree with you on that uh there's so many um comedic lines and moments because the movie moves so fast that I couldn't keep track of them all. And I think actually it helps maybe on repeat viewings too, that some jokes you might've missed the first time you'll catch again uh, on the, on the second time around. But if I'm being very honest with you all, I have to admit the movie's taking a lot of swings with the humor and it didn't always land for me in a laugh out loud way. I did, you know, say, Oh, that's, that's pretty clever quite a few times, but I didn't find it to be like uproariously like funny. And I don't know if that's just because of the um, type of humor it was dialed into at all times. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't for me. How did it work for you guys? Did you feel that like all the jokes were landing? I'd say it had a pretty good, you know, hit to miss ratio for me. I think, like you were saying, because there is so much, it kind of reminded me of like the Lego movie, like laugh a minute gags because mm -hmm. there's so much packed into like every single scene that even if one or two didn't miss kind of like the dated internet gags I was referring to earlier, there would be another line that would totally just like sneak up on me and it'd just be like maybe said in the background. Right. Like, that was so creative. That was like so funny. And so there was something that was always keeping me invested, even if one didn't work for me. And I mean, like it's not, it doesn't even have to be something like totally creative it can just be something along the lines of a line delivery like the scene where uh, the robots are rubbing like the nacho cheese in um i know right they're they're rubbing it in um uh dr uh, mark uh, bowman's uh, eyes and then olivia coleman says something along the lines of like really work it into the crevices <laughs> just, <laughs> that's so ridiculous and i just uh, you know like little little tiny things like that or um uh, you know, when the robot is like, is that a burnt orange 1993 station wagon? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I wasn't laughing out loud throughout the entire movie, but I definitely had a smile on my face. And like, there was always like that little chuckle that I had. I mean, my favorite part was the, um, like the airline safety instruction video that they had. Yes. I just thought that that was 
so funny. The end of the destination is the endless void. The trip will last forever. Like, I just thought that, that was so cute. But at least you'll have free Wi-Fi. Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> so funny. And, like, I know that people would, would be like, oh, yeah, I mean, at least I can, like, still go on Instagram and, like, go on Twitter and talk about this with people. I mean, do you guys ever have, like, a panic attack when your internet goes down because of an outage or something like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I literally cannot do any facet of my job without the internet. So that's the big Same. problem. And it's funny, too, because we live in a society now where if my excuse is I don't have internet, um, somebody can just turn around and be like, go across the street and go to the Wi-Fi next door. Like, yeah, you have a cafe across the street, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> <laughs> so there's always Wi-Fi and this idea of the Wi-Fi being shut down and how people would lose their minds and mm -hmm. so on and so forth and bringing about the end of the world. It's like, I, I totally understand where the movie's getting at in terms of like how much we are so plugged in nowadays that we're disconnected from reality itself and the things that truly matter, which are these human connections. You know, as someone who uh, had a lot of jobs in tech uh, early on in my life, I, you know, was always kind of very consciously aware of how immersive technology could be. I wasn't like on YouTube looking up cat videos and things like that as many people are and well clearly we're doing it wrong <laughs> i was gonna say i guess that's nowadays what most people use the internet for are these like ridiculous videos like the scene where rick is uh experiencing some of the videos that people are watching and he's just like has the whole world gone mad and it's like yeah a little bit i would say <laughs> we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, But it, it, I, I do think that the movie for such a heavy handed message that a lot of us have heard continuously. And it's like, all right, we get it already. We've heard this before. Are you really going to say something new? It's a credit to the filmmakers that they actually are able to take this message and say something. Um, I don't want to say wholly new with it, but they present it in a unique way. Yeah. Right. They, you I, are definitely invested in the story. And by the end of it, you're just like, you know what? Yeah, I can put my phone down. I can, you know, focus on the things going on around me. I don't always have to be hooked in and giving all my data away. I love that one little um, snippet where they're like, oh, I guess it was really bad to like share all this information and share people's private uh, data with people. And he was like, yeah, you think? <laughs> I mean, do you guys want to just like, you know, talk talk to me about dinosaurs? You know, that, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> And then Maya, I think it's Maya Rudolph's line where she's like, who would have thought a tech company wouldn't have had our best interest in mind? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it was 
so good. I, I, I love the uh, I love the scene where, um, you know, she asks uh, Olivia Coleman asks, like, is humanity worth saving? And then um, Eric Andre's character replies, humans have the power of love. And he says it like in such an obnoxious way, which is funny because how many storylines have we seen play out before in other movies where it really is true love that conquers all. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like this movie arrives at that same destination, but it stealthily does so to where it feels like it's subverting the trope, but not really. Yeah, and I was going to say, I think the timing kind of of this movie when it's coming, where it's coming out now versus when it was supposed to originally come out, I think makes a lot of difference because, you know, right now in our world, we're kind of getting ourselves away from this tech nonstop environment you know throughout this entire pandemic where that's kind of our only way we've been able to see people and connect with people and kind of be at a distance and this movie kind of at least for me showed me how you know it's still going to be a part of my life going forward but I have to make sure I have that balance so what you're telling me basically is that when I start talking to people in person again I have to get used to saying I hate dinosaurs I hate you bye forever (laughs) maybe modify it a bit (laughs) okay Yes, I'm very interested to see how the Mitchells tackle on the pandemic, the Mitchells versus the pandemic, when (laughs) everything is Zoom all the time. (laughs) Maybe if we're like a few more years removed from the pandemic and it's not like such a sore spot for a bunch of us, maybe that would be the sequel. Mm -hmm. It could very well be it. I would be open to I actually do hope we do get a sequel of some degree. I hope it's not, though, them versus machines. I hope it's like just them doing something else. I don't know what, but just something else, because I really do like these characters. I do find them to be very endearing. And I thought the central message here was um, very heartwarming in a way that I was not expecting, considering how flashy the movie is. I was worried that the style was going to actually suffocate the film at times, but it never did to its credit. So... In this case, it was strengths, not weaknesses, as opposed to how the family is set up in the beginning with weaknesses and not strengths. Maybe the sequel can include, it can be like a Jurassic Park thing. The dinosaurs come alive and they have to fight against them. I am all for that. Let's let's go. The only thing that I ask is, can Katie Mitchell drop her Letterbox account? Because you know that girl is watching the best of the best movies. I agree. They are actually Absolutely. making her one. They literally, yeah, I, I might, saw that yes. today. That is brilliant. I, was, I like squealed. I'm so excited. I love Girl, that. what are your top four faves? Let us know. <laughs> and it also has to be mentioned because um, I think that the movie, while I don't think it's doing it necessarily for the brownie points, I would like to give the brownie points anyway. Uh, Katie is an LGBTQ character in this movie, and that is not part yeah. of the storyline whatsoever. Right. And that's great because I think that if you're presenting a modern day story with a modern day family, giving it that kind of representation is something that I think could be very impactful for people who are just casually growing up watching movies like this and realizing that this is what normal is in 2021. I thought it was pretty heavily hinted at early on to where I didn't necessarily need the explicit confirmation that we receive in that little mid credit scene where her mom references her uh, girlfriend at college or whatever. But I, I felt like they did it in a way early on where she was just talking about being different or really connecting with her friend Jade in college. Like it was just these little things where she d- doesn't have to say like, oh, X, Y, Z, like explicitly spell it out. It was just there was this given I don't, there was already this understanding kind of between her and her family. And it wasn't, you know, it didn't feel like tacky or 
hammy dialogue or anything. It was just, it was really nuanced. Yeah, completely agreed. Absolutely. All right, so for final thoughts on the Mitchells versus the Machines, things that we did not mention that you would like to mention, I'm passing it over to Emma first. What do you want to uh, reiterate here for Mitchells versus the Machines? Um, I guess we've already talked about this before, but I just want to say again that truly the casting in this is fantastic. Like for the first five minutes, I was like, how do I recognize Katie Mitchell's name? Mm -hmm. How do I recognize Katie Mitchell's name? And I look it up and I was like, of course, it's my girl, Abby Jacobson from, um, oh my gosh, why am I blinking? Broad City. There Broad we City. go. <laughs> of course, it's her from Broad City. And Maya Rudolph, amazing like always, just very, very mad that she didn't give us a bubble bath reference. As she <laughs> and I totally just love the casting of Olivia Coleman in this totally out of left field, but love my girl, love my queen. Um Honestly, just such a pleasant movie for me. So very happy that I got to see this and gush about it with you guys. All right, Zach? I would say The Mitchells versus The Machines is a prime example of how specificity is a writer's greatest strength. Because, you know, we've seen robot apocalypse movies and, you know, dysfunctional family movies a thousand times. But here, they really textured the characters in such a way that made them feel distinctly themselves they weren't you know carbon copies of protagonists of the past or anything they had holistic backstories and relationships that i felt continued before and after the movie and i think the voice cast like emma was saying did a great job at you know fleshing that out too but really just kudos to the writers for adding so much creativity to the character arcs and making them their own individual people instead of just you know rehashing other stories that we really felt, you know, fun, even though it was familiar, there was a new fresh take on this. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, as far as my final thoughts go, um, Mike Rianda plays the little brother, Aaron. And at first I was a little <laughs> taken aback. I'm like, why does the little kid sound like an adult? I was like, oh, <laughs> but it grew on me by the end. And I, I didn't mind it. Uh, so Credit to Mike for getting me to that point, because at first I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I love how smart, resourceful Katie is. Clearly, she knows what's going on in a situation like this because she's seen enough movies to understand the situation, which is like hysterical to me because I almost feel like I've got like a leg up in an, in a post-apocalyptic uh, situation too, where I'd be like, oh, I remember in Mad Max this happened and, you know, and I'll be able to just like kick into survival mode. But there is something to be said for. You know, I remember growing up and learning how to drive and my father uh, trying to get me to read maps, like physical maps and memorize where things were and so on and so forth. And God bless the fact that I ended up getting an iPhone with uh, GPS and I was able to <laughs> not have to rely on that. Now, the funny thing is today I'm so proficient with, you know, navigation on a device do I have it in my head mentally? No, not exactly. Uh, but it's funny because like now it's like I'm teaching my father and it's kind of reversed. So it just like I, I think of like examples like that and how the old way of doing things where you're using like the stars to navigate as opposed to looking up on your phone where exactly you might be in the woods at any given moment, but maybe necessarily. But then if you don't have Wi-Fi, having those kind of basic survival instincts can be obviously useful. So 
once again, I really, really love the balance that the movie strikes in regards to that here. And I think that it's presented extremely well. I'll just say that anytime Siri tells me to go east, it's game over for me. I do not know where east is. <laughs> oh, <I'm> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, girl, but we are not speaking the same language. <laughs> no. The showdown in the mall with all the electronic devices, um, the idea that everything nowadays has a chip in it is something that I think that we take for granted. But this movie does a really good job of illustrating that literally every inanimate object in this universe now has some sort of smart technology built into it and the furby was absolutely terrifying (laughs) yes it was lives in my nightmares rent freaking free (laughs) man whoever came up with that kudos to you because holy shit was that just that was nightmare fuel yeah uh and also i want to give a shout out to the line whoever came up with this it looks like a journey album cover That was one of those uh, I love that. little lines that got me yeah. to chuckle pretty good. All right. So for myself, it was it, I've seen this movie twice now. And on the first time viewing, I gave it a seven out of ten only because I was a little um, taken aback, I think, by the style of the movie and how much style it was. And I did feel that it was threatening at times to overtake what the movie was working on emotionally with the characters and so on and so forth. Also, too, I got to admit it didn't help that the first time I watched it, I didn't really have subtitles and I didn't have necessarily like the best sound experience while watching it. So I, I, I like I missed a lot. You know, I just felt like I missed a lot of lines of dialogue. As I mentioned before, it moves really quick. The second time I watched it, I had subtitles on and I knew what was coming. Obviously, this time it didn't like hit me like whiplash necessarily. And I was able to enjoy it so much more. So my grade is an eight out of 10 for the Mitchells versus the machines. What about you, Zach? I'm also at an 8 out of 10. I've seen it twice, too, and I I loved it the first time on the first go-round, but I do think I got more out of it, definitely, the second time, just being able to already have that familiarity with the story, and I could pick up on little, tiny, funny things I missed along the way, and it just gave me a deeper appreciation for everything the filmmakers were able to do here. All right, and Emma? I've only seen it once, but I am currently at an 8 out of 10, so maybe on a rewatch I go up to a 9. But um, I did sometimes think that like there were some parts where I was like, oh man, could this have gone a little bit faster? Like, Did it really have to be nearly two hours long? So there were just a few parts that I thought dragged a little bit. I did mention earlier that the film can feel a bit exhausting just, by the yeah, end. And it. when you have that kind of manic energy... Uh, There was a point where I looked at the clock and we were only like a half an hour in and I was like, whoa, it's like there's so much more story left to tell here. You know, I know like everything starts going down at like the 25 minute mark or like 20, 30 minutes. And I'm like, how do they still have an hour and a half left of this Mm -hmm. movie? Yeah. But, you know, I, I that's a common complaint I tend to have with a lot of comedies nowadays where It feels like a mood is set pretty early on in terms of uh, its energy. And sometimes the movie is able to hold me in its uh, in its pattern and it's in its rhythm, if you will, all the way until the end. And other times there are moments where I get a little uh, I get a little thrown out of whack by it because either the jokes aren't landing as much anymore or I'm just starting to get mentally exhausted from trying to keep up with its pace because it's, you know, paced pretty fast (laughs) Uh, but this one for me like I said first time maybe a little jarring but uh, second time around I didn't have a problem with it at all and I just enjoyed the hell out of it so in terms of Oscar potential for this movie yes 
We are currently in the month of May. <laughs> Believe it or not, it almost feels like we're in the month of March, if I'm being completely honest with you all. But nope, we're in the month of May. Yeah. So it stands to reason that this could be a best animated feature contender. Um, it's not necessarily being released later in the year, but animated features, you know, for Oscar consideration could come out at any time during the year, uh, mostly because they're usually in short supply. Uh, we saw Onward get released in a very similar time slot last year, made it all the way until end of year. In a way, uh, kind of similar, kooky premise, but had a, an emotional core to it at its center that people really connected with. So I could see a very similar thing happening here from Mitchell's versus the Machines. I think it will get that Oscar nomination by the time we get to end of year. I do too. I think it totally deserves it right now. Very cute. Just the type of movie that makes you feel good and that's enjoyable for everyone. I think maybe some kids might not understand a lot of the stuff, but you know, they know that they are attached to their screens as much as we are. So I think it could definitely get all the way there. Not to mention, I think the fact that Katie is a filmmaker is going to make some Academy members be like, oh, look, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely think that angle will work on a lot of voters. And I think that like we were, you and I were saying, Matt, how we've seen it twice now. It's like it's one of those movies that really rewards repeat viewing. So I think it'll stick around a lot longer. It has a longer shelf life compared to something like I'd say, you know, Raya, which came out in March, which would also be eligible this year. I really liked, but I also feel like I haven't thought much of it the way I've continually thought of this ever since I first caught it on a screen or like two or so weeks ago. And I think that it's something that's just so smart and so fresh that it'll have no problem sticking around until the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, the only way I could see it not making it in the end is that same mentality that made the Lego movie miss. Yeah. Tr oh, gosh. That's yeah, that's so, such a sore subject. <laughs> and, and who knows what it was, you know, that made that movie miss to this day. It's like I still don't really know. Was it just because of the mm -hmm. brand utilization of like all those different types of, uh, you know, IPs in that movie? Or mm -hmm. was it the crazy animation style? Uh, if so, then. You know, Mitchell's versus the machines could be in a little bit of trouble there. But at the same time, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse had that same energy. And, you know, look what happened there. So, yeah, I would almost be tempted to say that it's 65 percent chance it gets in 35 percent chance it misses. I'm probably there as well. Like, and and that, that probably will increase the more animated films we see this year and if they live up to the hype or not. Mm. Clearly, this one has lived up to the hype. It's very beloved. It's getting better reviews than I actually thought it was going to get right now, where it's almost like in yeah. that universal praise territory currently. Mm -hmm. So mm. if, if the critics can carry it along and it can make it uh, remembered when we get to awards at the end of the year, um, my hope is that it will be able to get there. So... You know, but I, it's like I got I got to reference that Lego movie snub because damn, like that's yeah. there's a precedent there. Although I, I always do wonder, too. I don't know if this is just rumor or if that live action segment really did hurt it. If the branch did not, you know, take to that little twist. I've always thought that might have done it out in the end, too. Yeah, no, I think that's actually a really good observation, and that could be the tipping point right there to get it actually into that nomination territory, because no live action to be found in this one. <laughs> All right, Emma, tell everyone where that's listening right now where to find you on the internet. You guys can find me on Twitter at Emma underscore Sasek. And Zach Gilbert. 
You can find me at Twitter at Zach B. Gilbert or on Letterboxd at Zach Gilbert. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The Mitchells vs. The Machines here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, drop us a comment, rate us five stars, use that technology, swipe, poke, all that stuff please feel free to do so. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.